0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for letting me speak to you today, even though you had no choice in the matter. (laughs) Um, Our passage today we're going to look at is Daniel chapter 1, so you can go ahead and turn there. Um, But if you don't mind, I know we just prayed, but I'd like to pray before we open the word as well. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word, the things that it teaches us, the fact that we can apply it to our lives Lord, even outside of this chapel time, I do want to thank you so much for um, the, the case that's going before our Supreme Court today. I just pray as the oral arguments are presented for abortion to be restricted in this country, that you would give the justices and those defending the, um, the pro-life case wisdom and guidance. We just thank you so much, Lord, for what you're doing in this country even now. And then even right now today in this chapel, Lord, I just pray that your word would um, be solid in each and every one of our hearts, that we would be able to grow in you and take things away that we can apply to our lives. We thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 today, as I said. Um, This chapter, we're going to, instead of reading the whole thing, I'm going to kind of go through it in sections. Uh, It's got four main sections, and I've given a a heading to each section. So if you're taking notes, um, we'll have four main progressions, and they're going to form the acronym ears. Sorry, it just the way it worked out, I tried a bunch of different ways, and so there you go. Maybe I'll help you remember it. So Daniel chapter 1, let's start in verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So this first section, the first two verses, the heading is exile. All right? So in order to get a little bit of context of what's going on in this story, we need to understand a little bit of history of ancient Israel. Some of you have already taken that class, some haven't. But if you remember King David from back in the day, right? He kills Goliath with a stone. And then he's running from Saul for a bunch of years, becomes king, and Israel experiences great prosperity. He then has a son, Solomon, who builds a temple for Yahweh, amazing thing, and then he has a disgusting number of wives and concubines, not because women are disgusting, because a man with a thousand women (laughs) is disgusting, all right, clarify. But then he drifts, right? He goes away from God, stops following God. And because of that, God judges the nation of Israel and uh, he splits it. So when Solomon's son Rehoboam takes over, the kingdom is split to the nation of Israel to the north, which is the 10 northern tribes, and the nation of Judah to the south, which were the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. David had lived around 1,000 BC. Solomon lived in the 900s. Fast forward a couple hundred years, and the nation of Israel to the north never followed God. There were some people who did, but as a whole, the nation never did. And so in 722 BC, a couple hundred years later, God judged Israel, and by the Assyrian Empire, they came and destroyed Israel, took them off into exile. Now, a little over a hundred years after that, Judah is also falling to the fate of its Uh, neighbors to the north because they also have stopped following Yahweh. And so we are here, this deportation that's mentioned in in Daniel chapter 1 is the first of three that would happen. This one happened in 605 BC, there would be another one in 597, and then another one in 586 when the temple was actually destroyed and the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed. So this is kind of the first section of Judah's final demise at the hand of the Babylonian Empire. Um, and this would appear to the Babylonians, possibly to the Judahites, and to many people in that time, like Marduk was more powerful than Yahweh. All right, back at that time, they believed that when you had countries fighting Earth, their gods in heaven were also fighting each other. And so when you saw one country on Earth defeat another country, naturally, that meant that their god had defeated the other god. And so when you look at this, Living in this time, in this context, these people are thinking, ah, turns out Marduk, the god of the Babylonians, is more powerful than Yahweh, the god of the Judahites. However, there is a verse, or a word in verse 2. Notice that it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Guess what? (laughs) Nobody's better than Yahweh. Yahweh. All right, And we're going to actually see that as the story progresses and as the whole book of Daniel progresses. We're not going through the whole book today. But um, you see that happen, that this is punishment. God is purposely giving his people over to Babylon as punishment for disobeying him. This has absolutely nothing to do with God's fighting in the heavens and somebody coming out on top. There's no competition in the heavens between gods. All right. So that's the first section. Exile in the ears acronym. Second section, verse 3. It says Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, and some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature. Of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah abednego So the second section, the first section was exile, second section is affiliation. All right? Affiliation. Now scholars we don't know for sure from the text, but scholars think there may have been as many as 70 young men from Judah that were in this group that the king is pulling out of the exiles. Um, it's you should see the description, they are clearly uh, young, smart, good-looking, wise quick to understand, the king is looking for the best people from the people of Judah. All right, they, scholars think these guys were probably in the range of 14 to 17 years old, right at the age where they're able to, to learn, to grasp, to understand things, but they're also young enough that they're still very impressionable, very heavily influenced by the people around them and their surroundings and things that are going on. But the main point of this for the king is it's a ploy to keep people in subjection, all right? He wants to grab a few of their smart people, the people that everyone would look up to, take them to his court, and if he feeds them and takes care of them, they're going to tell the other people back home, "Yo, it's good. Don't don't fight against these guys." And so it's really a political move on Nebuchadnezzar's part to try and keep peace cuz he can't be everywhere at once and he doesn't want to keep having to put down rebellions. So he's trying to influence the people by elevating a few of their smart bright people and making them think oh man we we have it good we have representation in the in the government so this this is really a brainwashing system is what it is it's assimilation he's trying to get control and he has three facets of how he's going to get these young people to kind of merge into his culture and become babylonian you see them in verses five and following. First one is food. Now, the point of food is to immerse them in the culture and the comforts of the Babylonian government, all right? It's the king's table. In case you're wondering, the king has the best food in the empire, all right? That's how that works. And so he wants them to have this good food and these comforts and everything and be like, (laughs) that. Like, ain't no way I'm going back there. Why? Like, this is so much better. He wants them to be, like, totally in love with the culture that they are now in. He also gives them three years of education, the language and literature of the Chaldeans, trying to get them, their brains to be working in the system of thought that the Babylonians and Chaldeans have. Um, it's It's more than just wanting to give them like a little bit of, you know, math, science stuff. There would have been a lot of that, but there probably was education even in things like astrology, potentially um, black magic, or things that would have been very, very pagan. But at the very least, he wants them to know the language, to know the culture, know the history, and be totally mentally engrossed and, and totally absorbed in how Babylonians think and live. And then the third one, is name change. He goes straight for their identity. And he says, we're going to change up how you identify yourselves. Because, guys, these names that they have, when you look at the Hebrew names and the Babylonian names, both sets are connected to their gods, all right? Daniel means God is my judge. And he changes his name to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protect the king. Bel was yet another one of the Babylonian gods. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. They change his name to Shadrach, which there's some debate among commentators on what that name means, but they do know that it's connected to yet another Babylonian god. Mishael, who is like God. Isn't that a beautiful name? Who is like God? They change his name to Meshach. Also unsure what that means, but definitely connected to a Babylonian god. And then Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped, they changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. Again, yet another Babylonian god. So the whole point of this, the whole reason that he's doing this is he wants to make them forget Yahweh, like get Yahweh even out of your own name, right? He wants them to forget Yahweh, forget Judah, forget your family, forget the people that you were with, forget that terrible land. We want you here, I want you to be engrossed in this, so full of this that you wouldn't ever want to go back and then you'll influence your people to be subjective. The whole point is to make them Babylonians. So that's two points out of our EARS acronym. We've got exile, affiliation, now we're on to the third point. Look at verse eight. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter, and tested them ten days. Speaking of water... All right, so we had exile, affiliation, our third word is resistance, all right, resistance. So Daniel and his friends obviously go along with two of these three things that the Babylonians are presenting them, and then they refuse one. Now, I don't know about you, but for me personally, the one they refuse is not the one I would have expected them to refuse. All right. It seems to me like you would fight the name change. Like my name is Yahweh is gracious. You aren't taking that from me. That's my God. You're not taking my name and changing it to some pagan name. That seems to me like clear and obvious, right? Or maybe the education. Look, I know who God is. I know how the world works. I I've studied this Bible since I was a kid and trust me. I don't care what you think you know, you don't know it. And so it seems like maybe they would fight that and be like, no way, we're not doing that. But no, we, they, they go along with those things. But they refuse the food. Why did they refuse the food? Well, the answer is actually quite simple and quite telling. As many of you, I'm sure maybe all of you know, the Old Testament law had dietary restrictions, there were certain things in the Old Testament law, that God told his people they could not eat. And we can be assuming that those things are what were being served, at least part of what was being served on the table. See, name changes weren't forbidden. Secular education and the world's way of thinking and doing things is warned about. You see all through scripture, you have to be careful, right? But it's not forbidden. However, certain foods were forbidden. So you see what these guys did? They drew their line at God's word. They they knew God's word enough. They were willing to pick and choose their battles, but they said when it comes to actually defying and disobeying God's word, we're not going to do it. There was no way they were going to do that. And they were willing to risk their lives for that. So a couple things that we need to know. First of all, notice that they were respectful about it, all right? Now, some of that was probably because <laughs> their, lives would have been in, their lives were in danger anyway, and they would have been even more so if they were snarky. But there is something biblical and, and very Christian that we need to recognize, guys. There are appropriate godly ways to resist authority. And to, even when we know we are right, these men were right and they knew it, there are appropriate ways to present our case to those in front of us. But even more than that, guys, recognize that they knew God's word, all right? These guys got picked up and dropped, I don't know exactly, hundreds, thousands of miles away. They probably don't have a copy of God's word right now, but it's here. They know enough of it that when it comes to these things that are coming at them, they know, yep, I can do this one, yep, I can do this one, no, I can't do that one, no, I can't do that one, yep, I can do this one. Guys, you have to know God's word, all right? And I'm not talking about open your Bible every day, read a verse or two, meditate on it, and be done. I'm not talking about read a devotional where there's a verse or two at the top, read somebody's thoughts on it, and be done. I'm not talking about the app that gives you a daily verse. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. I do those things, okay? so before you stone me, don't think that I'm like saying that there is no place for any of those things. There is definitely a place for those things. But you guys, we have to read this entire book, all right? You have to start at Genesis 1 and go all the way to Revelation 22. And if that takes you a year, great. If it takes you two years, great. If it takes three, that's fine. When you get to the end, go back and read it again. And go back and read it again. God forbid... But I want you to ask yourself right now, if you, you if the United States got conquered and you got picked up and dropped in some place where you did not have the Bible, do you know it well enough in your head and your heart that you could live for three months, six months, the rest of your life honoring God faithfully because you know what you can and can't do? Ask yourself that. I hope. I know I got a long way to go. But that's what these guys went through. And we we always are talking about dare to be a Daniel, stand for God, do these things. The only reason they they were able to do that is because they knew this book very, 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 very well. And the same thing is true for us. Guys, we can't live the Christian life faithfully and stand when we should and step down and, and resist and do all these things and know when to do what unless this book is part of our DNA. We have to know it that well. Notice that the other 70 must have gone along with the crowd because you don't hear them mentioned. So apparently a bunch of people followed Nebuchadnezzar right to the bait and were fooled, right? These guys were the minority. Following God is usually the minority. Maybe not at Elam itself, but once you get out in the world, you will find that it's the minority. And this brings us to another good point, something that we need to definitely grasp. These four men did not deserve to be exiled. Remember why the exile occurred? It's punishment, right? Punishment for disobeying Yahweh. But these guys didn't disobey Yahweh. They are obedient. They're standing for him. They know his word. They love him. They're doing everything he asks. They're suffering for the sins of their people. This is unjust. We're going to come back to that. So in our EARS acronym, we have exile, affiliation, resistance. Now we're at point four. Let's look at verse 15. It says, and at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So the fourth point, we got exile, affiliation, resistance, status. Now, before the main point here, I do need to say, this passage is not advocating a vegetarian diet, okay? Just get that clear. Maybe this was a miracle on God's part. Maybe there are benefits to eating vegetables instead of meat, or maybe it's just eating vegetables instead of whatever meat they were serving on the king's table. But the point of this passage has absolutely nothing to do with diet. So don't, if you're, if you're going to be any kind of dietary person, don't use this passage as your proof text or the hill that you will die on. Please and thank you. But anyway, Something that we see here is that they get promoted, right? God rewards their faithfulness. When they could have died instead, turns out, oh my gosh, they are like really smart, really sharp. God blesses them and elevates them. And now they're in a position where Nebuchadnezzar thinks, yep, I have them where they can control the people and, you know, kind of represent and keep them under power. Well, guess what? Yahweh can do things a different way. Because guess what he also has now? He has people in the government who can intercede and advocate for his people. So that when things are coming forward that might be good or bad, Yahweh's using his people to protect them. So sometimes when we see something that looks really, really bad, it turns out God's using it really, really good. And he's flipping the script even on a pagan king who thinks he's got everything under control. So, yeah, they probably would have interceded for the people, been bringing their petitions and requests and needs to the king. And I also want to point out verse 21. This is very important. Notice it says, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. If you recall later in the book, King Cyrus is the king from Persia, the king of the Medes and Persians, who takes over Babylon. Daniel. Continued serving after Babylon went away. Daniel outlasted the people who took him captive. In other words, guys, Yahweh defeats Marduk. Right? Good guy always wins. God always wins. So yeah, it sure looked bad in verses 1 and 2, but (laughs) no. God's got his man. He's doing what he wants to do. And in the end, Daniel, taken captive, this low exile, he ends up outlasting the people, the empire, the great people who took him over. All right, so what do we do with our ears, right? We have ears, exile, affiliation, resistance, and status. Sometimes, guys, when we when we look at this story and, and other stories, especially in the Old Testament, we, we teach it and we look at it with an emphasis on us, right? How do I be like Daniel? How do I follow God? All those things. I want to challenge that a little bit. Now, there are definitely principles in this passage that we can apply. There are things that we could see. I've already told you a few things that we definitely see that we need. But ultimately, this story has a much bigger point to it. It's foreshadowing a much bigger story. And it's ultimately pointing to a much bigger story and person. It's showing us a picture, an early picture of who Christ is. Let's walk through the ears. Exile. When Jesus came on earth, he was an exile, right? This world was not his home. He was a stranger, and we didn't receive him. We crucified him. The New Testament says that we are exiles too because we follow Jesus. We don't belong here. This ultimately isn't our home. Our home is with him. affiliation. Christ affiliated himself with us. He became a man like us. He walked among us. He identified with us. He faced temptations like us. And Take a look at this. He faced the same three temptations as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Remember what they were? It was food. There was education that grasping and being part of the world's system and power and education and then identity when jesus came and was tempted in the wilderness what did the devil tempt him with food i'll give you all the kingdoms of the world the power the everything that you might want the glory of what the world has to offer and then identity jump off the temple prove the old testament prophecy that God will take care of his child. And the whole time, the devil is saying, if you are the son of God, do this and this and this. Identity. Same temptations. Jesus went through the same ones as they did. And obviously, in this story, these men stood firm. But we all know that they were sinners, and we know that we are sinners. We don't always stand firm. But Jesus did. We get to resistance, right? Exile, affiliation, resistance. Jesus obeyed God perfectly. He never sinned. And in doing so, he didn't deserve the punishment he received. It's like Daniel and his friends didn't deserve to go into exile. They didn't deserve that punishment. They suffered for the sins of their people. And Jesus came and suffered for the sins of his people, just like them. But then status. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, three years of training, and they're promoted. Jesus, three years of ministry, killed. Obedience doesn't guarantee earthly status and promotion. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to enjoy comfort and pleasure but we know that's not the end of the story. Jesus rose again, right? And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father and received status and glory and honor and a kingdom which has not yet fully been consummated, but we know it's coming. And now up there, what does he do? He intercedes for us, his people, just like Daniel and his friends would have been able to. Jesus now represents us and prays for us and reminds the Father of his blood that has been shed for us. Just like Daniel outlasted Babylon, we know that Jesus will outlast every kingdom, every nation, every ruler. He's going to outlast evil itself, the devil himself, sin and death. All of them are going away because Christ has won the victory. And that's going to be the final say. So just as Daniel outlasts Babylon, he is pointing ultimately to Christ who will outlast all of the suffering and evil in this world. So guys, this story, Daniel chapter 1, this isn't about you. It's not about me. Honestly, it's not even really about Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It's about Christ. It's about what he went through. What he accomplished for his people. What he is doing for us now in the current position that he has in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, I, I prayed about this and, and you know I, I definitely could give you something from here that you can add to your life and how to, to be a better Christian or, or live your life. There are lots of principles in here, but really what I want to leave you with, I just want to remind you guys of what Christ did, who he is, what he is doing for you. Because it's not, and this is the gospel. It's not about what you can do or what you've done. It's only about what Christ has done. So as we look at this passage, the whole point is that Jesus Christ is the true and better Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the truth that it brings. I thank you for the gospel, and the fact that, yes, there are things that we do because we've been saved, but, Lord, we don't need to do them in order to be safe or in order to be loved. You did it all. You came down as an exile, affiliated with us, resisted temptation, and now you're in heaven praying for us, interceding for us, reminding the Father of the sacrifice that you made so that we can go free. Lord, I just pray for everyone here that we will all be able to just remind ourselves of this every day and live in the freedom that you purchased. Thank you so much, Lord. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.